The Start On Demand. On demand. Bed bugs used to just be something your mom would say to you before bed. Good night, sleep tight, don't let the bed bugs bite. Bed bugs are a big problem. Winnipeg is the second worst city in Canada for bed bugs. So we're going to meet an organization in Winnipeg that's doing its part to help get rid of bed bugs, even though that has nothing to do with the services they intended to offer. And we're going to learn about the effects on mental health due to social isolation. Over 9,000 Manitobans left our province in 2018. We'll dig into some of those numbers and try to find out why. And we'll tell you about a great new book called Everything Manitoba, The Ultimate Book of Lists, which revealed McNabb has never heard the term Halloween apples. I'm Brett McGarry, alongside Greg Mackling and Loren McNabb. We are Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb, and this is the Wednesday, October 2nd podcast for The Start. Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb. Chris sending us a text to open the show at 204-780-6868 saying, Morning, I've been trying to find that version of the Fozzie song you play. It's called Judas. Chris, I'll get you a link. I've got it. You know what? I've got it open right now. And I will just copy that and paste that into 204-780-6868. Great song from Winnipeg's own Chris Jericho. How many views on that video now? 31 million views. It's a great song. Yeah. Love it's, this tune. It's like retro rock and roll, and the Winnipeg connection is really why we have chosen it as our opening song every day. We've had Chris Jericho on our show several times over the years. I think it's time to have him on again. Yep. It's been too long. Yep. The last time we had him on, he was challenging... What's her name? Carrie, Carrie Underwood. Underwood. Yep. <laughs> what is her name? Uh, you and me for a second, and Mike I was like, Fisher. I didn't get challenged to anything. <laughs> Mike Fisher. I take the challenge, I suppose. But. Wife, when the Jets played the Nashville Predators in the playoffs uh, two years ago, mm-hmm. and uh, Jericho was prepared to put ten grand on the line. We never heard a thing from Carrie Underwood, and guess who won that series in ten games? Or seven games. Ten games. <laughs> Ten Whoa. games. Man, I'm confusing the games and the $10,000. So. I know the playoffs go a long time. but They do, but there's no such thing as a 19-game uh, series. So. <laughs> <laughs> so today we want to talk about bed bugs, and I'm going to set it up here. With a, a commercial from the 80s you may or may not have seen, you may or may not remember. Bed bugs! Bed bugs! So if you don't sleep today, Bedbugs! Bedbugs! Such a crazy game to play! Bedbugs is the frantic new catch and capture game where you pick a color and then scramble to get the most bugs! Bedbugs! Bedbugs! Battery's not included. Don't let them get away! Bedbugs! Bedbugs! It's a wacky game to play! Bedbugs! Bedbugs! Don't be no sleep today! Bedbugs! Bedbugs! Don't get carried away! Bugs from Milton Bradley. It'll drive you buggy. So no. that was one of those games in the 80s where the, mm-hmm. the board it was, the, the board was set up, shaped like a bed. And it, like, it vibrated. And the bugs would bounce around on the bed and you had to pick them off with these little tweezers. But in the 80s, it, bed bugs, I don't remember them being a problem. It was just a nursery rhyme yeah. or whatever that your mom would say when you go to sleep. Sleep tight, don't let the bed bugs bite. What was the full rhyme? Yeah, good night. Sleep, sleep tight, tight, don't, don't let, let the bed, bed bugs bite. bite. And yeah. honestly, I never even thought of it being a real bug. 
Like, yeah. I, I feel like as a kid, that was just a thing your mom said or your dad said or whatever, whoever in your life said it to you. And it was it was to get you to fall asleep. But it was a joke. And it's not, there's nothing funny about them. We're learning in Winnipeg. It's bad right now. The problem is huge. And I'm actually surprised. You can still buy that game. Hasbro, that was a Milton Bradley game, I guess. Hasbro, I don't know what the, the business machinations are behind that deal. But you can still buy that game. And it just feels, it seems like that's something that shouldn't be a current product anymore. It's sort of a combination of operation and perfection. Yep. And I agree with you. At, you know, we we get accused of, and I mean the collective or royal we get accused of being too politically correct. But I I think it is come to a point in time where bed bugs are absolutely everywhere. And I've mentioned this a few times as we've decided to tell the story. The idea of even talking about them gets people itchy. I know when I was in New York. About six years ago, signs are everywhere. Have you got bed bugs? Call us. Bed bugs, bed bugs, bed bugs. Fumigation, the buildings that are wrapped in plastic that they're getting rid of bed bugs. I was itchy for two weeks after coming back from wow. New York. Just the whole, it gets in your brain the idea that you might even have been exposed or, or carried to them. And, and that's part of the. The stigma that's attached to them somewhat, Lorraine. Well, nobody wants to say they have the problem because there's the perception that you're going to get bed bugs if you come into my house, if I say I have bed bugs. And then there's the added threat of, oh, how did you get them? It's kind of like when the letter goes home from school about lice, everybody assumes it means you didn't wash your kid's hair. Well, it's just a bug that jumps from person to person, no different than so many other insects, and it can enter your home. But nobody wants to admit to it in part because of that stigma attached or maybe nobody will come visit you or or you won't go to their house and all the other things that come with it. So we're going to have an extensive conversation. I'm scratching my leg right now, actually, really? for zero reason. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'm, the bed uh, bugs are in your uh, head. Uh, yeah. Sorry, keep talking. Somebody else take over. Well, we're the <laughs> idea, the, the terminology that we're going to learn a little bit more about later this hour and throughout the day, something called social isolation. And bed bugs are a, a part of creating that potentially. And we'll tell you how to mitigate that. You mentioned the game. Uh, by the way, we're going to talk about this at length. 637, 745, 837. Hal Anderson's going to join us. He spoke to somebody with a personal story on bed bugs, but you mentioned perfection. I had that game as a kid. And I, I don't know that, that game. I, I don't know that a game has ever given me so much anxiety because it, the timer was, what, 55 seconds? I think you're right. But it always popped sort of ish. 55. Yeah, it wasn't what you would consider a finely tuned instrument. Yeah. So uh, you knew that it was coming. Is it going to happen before? Is it going to happen after? And then, and uh, got me every time. So anyway, I'm just having heart palpitations thinking about that. Now, according to a report we did here at Global News back in January, Winnipeg sits as the second highest city in Canada with bed bugs. Toronto is number one. According to a news release from Orkin Canada, Winnipeg's bed bug problem is at an all-time high. Here's a quote from Orkin. In less than two decades, this pest has gone from a rarely experienced irritant to a major problem. So when we were talking earlier off the top about that game, bed bugs, and the idea that maybe they were almost a mythical creature in these parts, um, that would be accurate if that's the way you remember it. Just hearing that... 
might make you itchy. McNabb's got her scratching stick. Uh, she's scratching all morning already. Yeah, she has an actual wooden back scratcher. I have like three of them. <laughs> Not for bed bugs, but still. Please strategically, and you might be scratching yourself just hearing this discussion. The reality is bed bugs are likely affecting people you know. And one of the most difficult things to do is to say out loud that you yourself are dealing with this problem. It's not just getting rid of them, which is, of course, a huge, huge problem. It's causing a secondary issue for many. It is called social isolation. Marion Cooper is executive director at Canadian Mental Health Association here in Manitoba. And I spoke to her in her office yesterday about the stumbling blocks some have in tackling this problem. There's a stigma associated with bed bugs. People think that if they share... Um, people will think that they're dirty or not taking care of their house or their home, um, that they, you know, um, you know, will be ostracized, and um, and it's scary for people to take that risk. Um, and you know, I think landlords and property managers and community groups are are trying to deal with this in in different ways. And uh, when we're asking people not to talk about it. Um, including property management and other organizations, um, we're reinforcing in a very um, real way um, the stigma that's associated with it. So the more we talk about it, the more we can get real about what we do as a community to um, be preventative about sort of something that's a nuisance, um, but also create space for people to be able to get the help they need to manage it if it does become a problem, you know, in their living environment. Bed bugs are not a threat to your physical health, but your mental wellness is potentially at risk. This isn't a health issue. Bed bugs themselves are a nuisance. But um, if we aren't talking about it in an open way, it does lead to people being very uncomfortable um, to share something that might be very difficult for them if they're struggling uh, with a bed bug issue. And, you know, shame is never good for your mental health. And being, being silenced or having to hold in something like that in a secretive way just can make you feel anxious, can make you feel um, very alone. Um, and then when there's protocols in place to manage uh, the spread of bed bugs and people are being asked to stay in their suite, not go into common areas, which we know happens. Uh, we do a lot of housing support at CMHA, so we know that that is one of the protocols inadvertently there's this unintended effect of sh- of actually um, creating social isolation for people who may already be very vulnerable and um, that is something that needs to be considered very carefully so when we're looking at trying to help people learn how to contain uh, and deal with a bed bug issue in their home um, we need to pay attention to their mental health needs and if people are being asked to, to stay in their apartment and not connect with others because there's a fear of, of bed bug contamination, that will have an unintended consequence. So I think that's one of the things we've tried really hard to do when we work with communities here at CMHA is to encourage you know, really proactive strategies around managing bed bug issues, but also talk about the importance of taking care of your mental health. Um, you know, some of us, you know, hear bed bug and we kind of get crawly. Now, imagine having bed bugs where you live and all the things you need to do to eradicate this pest. It's a long list. It's arduous. 
it could be an overwhelming proposition for someone that already has a mental illness. Some individuals who may already be struggling with a mental health issue, you're right, are going to be completely overwhelmed potentially, and it may in fact exacerbate anxiety and um, and some of their struggles. So, you know, connecting them with a mental health service provider, um, with support, peer support, or um, another resource will be really important because it's a stressful time and they're going to need extra support. But then to think really practically, how can we help people get organized? You know, when we're, we're working with people who, you know, are struggling with something like an anxiety disorder and then are dealing with this, which is, you know, would actually potentially, you know, trigger an anxiety disorder for some people, um, they may need a lot more practical support. So if, you know, a property manager is listening in on this right now and, you know, asking themselves, how can I support, you know, my tenants who might be struggling? Um, think in practical terms. Think in very real ways. How can we get some support in place to help people get themselves organized to do this protocol and to make this happen? And it's when we get the support that we need and we can think about how to get organized and be practical and, you know, do what's required that we regain a sense of control because it's that feeling of being out of control because this is something that can be so overwhelming. So when we're overwhelmed, having support to feel like we can do things to help ourselves to support the situation will help um, we regain a sense of control. Now I'm preparing to share this story. I've encountered people who have been told that they aren't allowed to visit their families until this issue is taken care of, or I won't visit you and your home until it's taken care of. This social isolation only heightens this already stressful time. Marion Cooper has this advice. What we would encourage people to do is to, you know, to keep it all in perspective. Um, So for a family member who's struggling with bed bugs and then being told by their loved ones that they can't come and visit or help, uh, that is a problem and that's concerning to us because social isolation is not good for anybody. Um, and there are things that family members can do to be helpful and supportive to their loved ones uh, without having to isolate and stay away. So, um, you know, we were just having this conversation this morning here at CMHA and we work really closely with an organization that supports um, the cleanup of bed bug issues when it gets really bad. And people in that organization, none of those individuals have ever taken home bed bugs into their own home. Yet every day they're in bed bug infested environments. So at 7.45, uh, we will introduce you to an organization who may be able to help you, a friend or a family member who is in this bed bug predicament. Yeah, we're going to talk to the folks at Scope and they... They're in an industry of of helping people, helping people find work, and they've been doing things like snow removal, uh, yard cleanup. They help people with mental health issues find jobs or volunteer positions and now they're in the business of bed bugs, which they never imagined they would be a few years ago, but it shows how the need is so great to help people get rid of this problem. Here's the headline from a few days ago at globalnews.ca. This airline's seat map shows where the babies are so you can avoid them. Babies can be pretty cute, the story says, except when they're making your life a living hell. 
on a long-haul flight from Canada to Japan. Babies can become little creatures of pure chaos during an extended trip. Their crying wakes you up. Their parents have to squeeze past you to change them all the time. They throw anything that's not bolted down, and they love, love, love to kick things. So Japan Airlines has taken steps to minimize baby-related chaos on board its flights with a seat map that shows where the potentially troublesome little tykes are located on every plane. McNabb, what was your reaction to this? You're a mom. Boo! Honestly, you think moving five rows is going to save you from the baby? Yeah. Yeah. I, I get I get. When I was 20 and flying and, and doing things, I get it. The crying baby is frustrating. But as a mom, and I still will, I will never forget my first flight with my first child. He was like two and a half months old, slightly colicky. Like, so every time he nursed, he cried right afterwards because it bugged him. And I was bawling on the flight because he was crying so much. Like he would not stop crying. So I'm crying into my sleeve, trying to hide this. And this guy next to me says, I'm really sorry, but I have like a doctor's conference later today and I need to get my rest. And we're on a flight to Toronto. So I was like, not an international flight. And he asked his wife to change seats with him. And so he moved across the aisle. And I was like, that's the difference maker here for you. So there I am just sweating and crying. And I'll also never forget the flight attendant who then came up and said, do you want to come stand in the back of the plane and walk up and down? I'll let you stand in the area where we serve coffee. And that gives you a bit more space to move because she recognized that I was struggling. And so I I will never, I will go up to moms now and say, can I carry your baby for you or hold your child? Because it's so hard. It's awful. So if you don't like it, Suck it? Can I say that on the radio? I don't know. Just did. Well, and some, yeah. there's a thing in the story here. Others were more sympathetic toward parents who were forced to wrangle their kids on an ocean hopping flight. Quote from at G Sundar: They are babies as we all once were. We need to learn tolerance, or we'll soon start needing a map of seat locations for mouth breathers, droolers, yes. farters, drunks, <laughs> and perhaps a lot more things in life. Whatever happened to life's surprises? No kidding. Uh, That's where the farters all, come in. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because you can't plan that ahead, but it's called noise-canceling headphones. It's yeah, I was going to say, any sort of headphones, you can crank like, up your tunes on, louder give, than a baby, no problem. Give me a break, and th- there are way of bigger issues on a plane. Like I would personally like to be able to designate my seat as a sleeping seat, so I'd just like to let people know, just put some Zs there, that I'm going to be catching some Zs, so if you like to talk to people on the plane, you might want to consider sitting somewhere else, because I will be sleeping and not interested in speaking Do you get a window you. seat then? So people don't have to crawl over you or wake you up while you're sleeping? I like a window seat. That's good. Fortunately. Because I, I hate it when I'm in a window seat and the guy in the aisle is asleep. And I gotta, I have to go to the bathroom like every twenty minutes on airplanes. Yeah, that's why the, they have that marked for you as yeah. well. that's why uh, I always get, I always try and get an the aisle weak seat. The bladder section. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. There you go. There's another designation. What other yeah. designations could we have? Oh, I don't know. I think you, I think you covered them all. And and, and that's the thing. Like, I, I I don't know. Like, I, I've always been very fortunate. We we go to Puerto Vallarta every winter, and there are always infants uh, on the plane. And I'm I could just cancel out all the noise. I'll, I'll either be doing a crossword or reading a book or whatever, and I just completely zone out. You know, and the parents, oh, I'm really sorry. Never even really paid much attention to what was going on. You know, take it easy, enjoy the flight, that that type of thing. Yeah, Greg wants to know, with will the seating chart show where the people with BO are sitting so yeah. I can avoid them too? 
There's no. a text at 204-780-6868. Mariana wants to know. I moved the seat on a plane oh, because of somebody with their, they took their shoes off and their feet Ooh. reeked. And oh, so I moved that seats. That was Juliana. <laughs> yeah. She's saying, what about the people with stinky uh, feet? And there the people a, who, who like to take their shoes off. That's that's way worse than I a crying my, baby. Now, having said that, I still take my shoes off. But my feet don't stink. No, no. There was work. a comedian who had a good bit about saying they should bring smoking back onto the planes because it was masking all the other smells. <laughs> oh. <laughs> oh, I yeah. guess you can wear headphones to cancel out noise, but you can't block your nose to. Oh, you can the plug smell. it. Well, then you're breathing through your mouth, then you're tasting it. No. And then, then you become a mouth breather, which uh, <laughs> at G Sundar says is a problem. Yeah. I, I will say the kicking child, like the the. the Kid in the seat behind you who's constantly kicking your seat, or an adult doing it, which that's can misbehavior too. though. That is annoying. And a I'm, baby's not crying on purpose. Well, a baby's yeah. trying to communicate some issue, or they're hungry. Yeah. Or, and you know when you're you. landing, the kids are going to howl because their well, ears are hundred yeah. percent. Yeah. What yeah. about the guy in front of you that, without warning, just thrusts his oh. seat back while you've yeah. got a drink on the tray, <laughs> like hot coffee goes flying everywhere? I, I actually yeah. think they should get rid of reclining seats. It goes back like two inches anyway. Yeah. Like, what are you getting out of that? It's like. Oh, I just can't relax. Oh, gosh. I wish I could just... Oh, at least, uh, oh, like at least one look, inch. turn around and say, hey, moving it back here if you got something sitting on that little tray. You uh, want to talk to the person behind you? You should just give them a heads up that you're about to, like, do like that. Tell me you've never been on a plane where the person next to you won't even make eye contact with you. That's me. Let alone, you won't? I don't talk to people on the plane. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you for two talk hours? To people that's, anywhere. That's Not until we're in that there. nosedive and it's about to end, then I'll say... <laughs> When I was flying back from Mazatlan in 2006, or I can't remember what year I went, but there there was a woman sitting in front of me who had the seat reclined, and it, it was one of those charter vacation service, so they, they had us crammed in there like sardines. Oh. So her seat was already in my knees, and then she reclines it, so I have, I, I'm just jammed in there. She got up to go to the bathroom. I reached over and I pushed her seat up. And then when she came back, I jammed my knees right into her seat so she couldn't recline it. <laughs> and she looked all confused. And I finally leaned over and said, you're five feet tall. I'm 6'4". You don't need to recline your seat. And oh, she, you bully. Yeah. Oh, wow. What a bully. Yeah. Oh, this wow. is Brett's plane. Stand, standing up for the taller people. You, you short people don't need to recline your seat. Get tickets Good at point. first class, my Gary. It, they, well, there was no, uh, there was all economy. <laughs> Not that I could afford the extra $10,000 anyway. <laughs> Question of the day at cjob.com brought to you by Credit Aid, helping Manitobans get out of debt since 1992. Visit creditaid.ca, call 204 987 6890. Have you or anyone you know ever been affected by bed bugs? Your options are yes or no, fingers crossed. So we've put that poll up on cjob.com. We've also put it up on Twitter, at 680CJOB, and we've posted the conversation on Facebook. The results so far at cjob.com. Oh, come on. Are you seriously just not going to show me the results? No. Is your computer frozen there? Oh, here we go. There we go. It just was stuck. It was trying to take me to the, I, I guess I clicked on the, uh, the the helpful credit aid sponsor above. If you want more information on credit aid, there's a box right ahead. You click on that. It takes you to their website. So it was just redirecting me. So far, 56% say no, fingers crossed, but 44% say yes. 
I or someone I know has been affected by bed bugs. That's a lot. That's a lot of people. And we're talking about bed bugs this morning because we know Winnipeg sits as the second highest city in Canada for bed bugs, the second worst city in the country for bed bugs. And that means there's a lot of people whose job now is to try to clean up the problem. A job, I think, is safe to say few of us would want. I know I wouldn't want it to have to go into a home or apartment and then help the owner or renter get rid of bed bugs. To be fair, it's also not something the group featured in this next story thought they would be doing. But now the people at Scope, and I'll get into what their feature services are in a moment, are regularly taking calls from people needing them to help clean up so fumigators can clean house or at the very least get rid of those bugs. We're in one of Canada's poorest postal codes, so we're really about community economic development. Their main shop is on Arlington. And beyond the thrift store there, their main goal is helping people living with mental health issues find jobs. Our major businesses are snow and uh, grass. But it's only in the last year that SCOPE, that stands for Self-Starting Creative Opportunities for People in Employment, realized they were missing their calling. You have reached the offices of Scope. Or at least missing the desperation in a growing number of calls. How did you get into the bed bug game? When did that start? Oh, just a need. Nobody wants to do it. How many phone calls are you getting to deal with bed bugs on a regular basis? I'm getting them daily now. That's Angela McCoggan. She's the executive director at Scope and says in the beginning there were just a handful of bed bug clients. Traditionally, it is, um, it's a lot of our members, um, marginalized members of society that get in situations where they have bed bugs because it, there's so much stigma around it. A lot of people don't want to talk about them having it, so they'll hide it for a significant period of time, and then by the time they admit that they have it or somebody's found out they have it, it is really substantial. Like, the infestation is quite substantial. And I'm not scared of them. They just make me mad because they make people feel bad. Like a recent member. 95 years old, physically healthy, but with early onset dementia and a serious bed bug infestation. There were actually bed bugs crawling on her clothes that were hanging up in her closet. There were specks of blood all over her bed. She, this poor lovely. She was being bitten, bleeding, oh. and didn't know it was bed bugs. No, because there was enough dementia there that she didn't, you know, she didn't know that that's what was going on. If you're physically starting to itch at this point, Don't worry, I was too, scratching while Angela talked because, as she says, it's a common reaction. But bedbugs don't bug Angela. It just bugs her when the people trying to get rid of them can't get help. Prior to us going in there, her family would, A, not want to visit her um, because they were terrified of getting bedbugs. And I get that. Not everybody has as much knowledge, um, you know, as comfortable as as we are. Um, But not only that, she couldn't go to their house because... The infestation is so bad they're crawling on the collar of her shirt. Now the crew at Scope so don't fumigate. This was just like an hour. Yeah, yeah it was easy. Wow. It was like a one bedroom. They get the home nice. ready yeah. for fumigation. We go in and we basically determine what we can save and what we can't because when the infestation is that bad, quite often we have to throw many, many things out. Um, We had one where the books were just full of eggs and full of bed bugs and the bed was just covered. They beg what's worth keeping, toss what isn't and move furniture away from the wall. 
Angela says when it comes to bed bugs, that prep step is key. It's easy to get rid of bed bugs in a place that doesn't have a lot of stuff. When somebody has a lot of stuff or is a hoarder, it is very difficult to get rid of them because there's just so many places for them to hide. And they can live up to, I believe it's 18 months without feeding. While Scope's offices are based in one of the poorest postal codes in Manitoba, she says bed bugs don't discriminate. It makes me crazy. Like, it's so not true. I know somebody who has a brand new $600,000 house who had bed bugs. With the odds of them making you crazy on the rise. I always say to everybody, assume that you're taking bed bugs home. Just assume. I don't like that assumption. <laughs> I'm going to leave here now and I have to assume I brought bed bugs home? Yeah, just, yeah. You're like, just yeah. assume, assume they are everywhere. So I did. I went home. Took off my clothes in the front entrance, a lot of detail for folks here, and took it right down and put it in some hot water in the wash and then put it in a hot dryer. And, and I, don't, I don't, by any stretch of the imagination, think sitting in her office that there are actually bed bugs there. But because it was on my mind and she made that point, you know, you talk, she talks about going to hotels and the first thing she does in a hotel, rips off the covers to look for bed bugs. She checks hotels. She talks about movie theaters. We've heard rumors of movie theaters in different parts of the country having bed bugs. And so this idea that they're everywhere and they're so hard to control is something that should be on top of mind for all of us. And again, not because they can hurt you, but because they're just kind of gross and they can bite and they can be bothersome. And we should all be kind of aware that it could be everyone's problems. Just as a quick note to their services, the cost of that is on a case-by-case basis. They're in the business of helping people find jobs and work, and so they're, they found a niche market here. But uh, it's, a, it's a growing market that uh, is, has me with growing concerns. Also, yeah, even though they're, they're not a huge uh, problem in terms of health, I was out with someone uh, just a couple of days ago who said that she had an allergic reaction. Uh, she woke up with three big welts on her arm, so not bad, but just that that's a huge nuisance to wake up to giant mm-hmm. bug bites. Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb. Coming up in a moment, Hal Anderson on bed bugs and the woman he spoke to who shared her personal experience. But before that, Loren McNabb, something going on in my new slash old hood. That's right. Lots of people uh, texting and writing in about a fire and smoke that was billowing from the underneath the Osborne Street Bridge, just right at uh, Osborne and Assiniboine there. And it sounds like everything has been put out. The fire crews are on scene. There are reports that somebody was potentially burned, but they have left the scene, so we're working to confirm that. But as it stands right now, that fire is out. So we've been talking about bed bugs this morning, and you can weigh in at cjob.com. The question of the day is brought to you by Credit Aid, helping Manitobans get out of debt since 1992. Visit creditaid.ca, call 204-987-6890. Have you or anyone you know ever been affected by bed bugs? And so far, 60% say no, fingers crossed. 40% say yes. You can also cast a vote on Twitter at 680CJOB, and we've opened a conversation on our Facebook page. Hal Anderson, you spoke to someone who has been affected by bed bugs. Yeah, uh, her name is Tiffany. She lives in a North End duplex. She recently spent some time living with bed bugs, and as you'll hear here, we have altered her voice. I've never experienced anything like it before. I was quite appalled, actually, because. Um, I, 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 when I was growing up, my mom used to say, like, when we go to bed at night, uh, good night, sleep tight, don't let the bed bugs bite. So I thought that was just an expression, you know? Uh, <laughs> I didn't think it was something literal. So she says the landlord was great, her building was sprayed multiple times, and eventually the bed bugs were gone. And yes, they bite. Oh my gosh, yes, and they'll leave big welts on you, and yeah, it's just awful. And then you're uncomfortable going anywhere because, I mean, if they're exposed, like the bites, 
obviously anyone that's seen a bed bug bite is looking at you and going, oh, she got bed bugs in her house. So, yeah, no, it's not a, it's not a comfortable situation at all and uh, very hard to deal with, very hard to... Uh, to get rid of. A couple of other things after talking to Tiffany, guys. Uh, bed bugs in a duplex or triplex, even more difficult to deal with because you have two or three families who may or may not be following all the instructions to get rid of the bugs. It's really quite a process. And a word of warning, why you shouldn't pick through stuff other people have discarded. Tiffany says the people in the other suite in her duplex threw a lot of their clothing and other belongings behind the building for garbage trucks to haul away. But before that could happen, people picked through the stuff and took some of it to their homes, likely bringing bed bugs into their homes. So this is a problem that over the years has gotten worse for many reasons, and we're going to talk more about it as we go along today. Yeah, in, in the last 20 years, Orkin saying that it's gone from a minor situation yeah. in Winnipeg, and it's simply exploded. One of the reasons behind that, and I don't know if you're going to explore this, but I know you're aware of it, Hal, yeah. is the idea that the chemical that exterminators can use has changed. I guess DDT was a big part of the formula once upon a time, and that's been outlawed. So you've got a double whammy, right? You've got a more a greater proliferation of these bugs, yeah. and then the military hardware yeah. that fumigators have to combat these uh, little guys isn't what it used to be. Right. And, and I'll just say this. Um, it, it's not a dirty thing, right? I mean, th- it, we t- you guys talked about the stigma. I have talked to so many people mm-hmm. that got them in five-star hotels, right? right? For whatever reason, they brought them home, they opened up their luggage, and they end up in the luggage, and they bring them home. It, it's not a dirty thing. It's it's just a, a pest that has kind of taken over it's and become a huge yeah become a huge issue. Well, we had a listener text in this morning saying that was they were struggling just to listen to the conversation because they had bed bugs in their home. Uh, they wrote to say that they were totally traumatized that her husband lost 10 pounds and that she still can't think about them. And as a side note, this person says that we live in a middle-class lovely home in North Kildonan. Right. This was 6 years ago and she's still triggered by yeah. hearing the conversation. So she wanted to make the point, A, it can happen anywhere. Mm. B, man, it, just because there's no major health concern doesn't mean they don't leave you with almost what sounds like PTSD Absolutely. as far as she's concerned. Yeah. And just the stress of that, then having to share with people like, yeah, this is what happens. And then you feel like you're this person mm. who's done something wrong when well, when it's happening everywhere. We had the conversation with Marion Cooper very early in the program about right. social isolation mm-hmm. and, and the idea that you know, sometimes your own family won't come and visit you in your home because you've got bed mm-hmm. bikes, bed bugs and they haven't been eradicated yet, or they won't allow you to come and visit them. So it's very isolating mm-hmm. potentially and, and creating all sorts of uh, difficulties for people emotionally and otherwise. Yeah. Uh, the whole interview, by the way, with Tiffany on my show this afternoon between one and four, and I'll be on Jeff Courier's show after your show at 10 o'clock with more clips from Tiffany, as we continue to talk bed bugs today. They're also hard to get rid of because you, you never know where they're going to be hiding. Someone was telling me that uh, that they were found in like the charging block, yep. mm-hmm. charging brick of your phone. They hide in books. Yep. Mm-hmm. Uh, you, you know, you, I would never think to go to my bookshelf and see if there are bed bugs hiding there. One of the things you can get apparently is a power bar hmm. that will attract them and kill them, almost like a bug zapper. Really? Those are available. You can search out those online. It's something that you can invest in if you want to reduce your your chances of doing this. And never mind a single home. You mentioned duplexes, a tri. 
triplexes. Well, I mean, imagine apartment buildings, all oh. the different things, all the different protocols that in an ideal world would affect, from what I've been told, mm-hmm. eight other apartments yeah. surrounding the one that might have, I don't want to use the word infestation, but that is really, that's where that's it what starts, it is. right? Yeah. So yeah, that's the word. I think it's important that we're talking about this so people who are dealing with this in silence can say, yeah, you know what? I, I need to take care of this. Mm-hmm. And those of you that might have family or friends that are dealing with this understand what they might be going through. It is it is not a lot of fun. No. St. Norbert City Councilor Marcus Chambers, part of a crime forum tonight. Don't usually, when I think crime, I got to be honest, I never think of St. Norbert. Uh, So the fact that the residents are in that neighborhood are starting to get concerned, I think should be a concern for everybody because it just means the problem's getting worse everywhere. Yeah, I think even when you're in your own neighborhood, you get this sense unless it's happened in your front yard or your backyard or someone's tried to break into your house that everything's tickety-boo. And I can tell you from my own experience, the last three times we've had sort of an impromptu block meeting, I have heard both times, or the last two times for sure, startling stories from one of my neighbors about something that's either happened to them or happened in the neighborhood. And then the third time, it was something that 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 I was witnessing myself. And so uh, that conversation piece, I think, gets really lost, Lorendo, our the way our neighborhoods are constructed now, right? We've got the big double car garage, not everybody, but in the suburbs, you've got the double car garage in the front of your house. You drive in your house, some of you, and I walk right in. And you're like never you outside. Some of you. Some of you. And in particular in the winter, you can go. Because you can't drive into your garage. Yes. I just, yes. I wanted to, I, I wanted figured to know I would what, take Brett, that ammunition away from you. don't want to confuse people. Yeah, I threw you the ball. You took it and ran with it. Yeah. So okay. Good job. Okay. Good job. But, but the, I, I hear what you're saying. In the wintertime, you can go months without Absolutely. conversing with your neighbors. We built neighborhoods and for, you know, to be in our backyards and we put up fences around ourselves. And then we've stopped that idea where you watch out for each other and you help one another. And we talk about this all the time in our community because I'm fortunate enough to live in a cul-de-sac where all the kids play out front. And so our backyard, we don't even worry about, you know, what mess is going on back there sometimes because everybody in our neck of the woods is out front. And it's amazing to see how that changes the dynamics with knowing your neighbor and having those conversations. But also perhaps it is a bit about not just being nosy, but being caring enough to be nosy, right? Like go well, ahead to, know, and, never to, mind to look out the window nosy. and be like, hang on, I know my neighbor's actually not home this week. Why is that car in that driveway? Whose truck is that? Who is it that's walking across the lawn? Or watching other kids when they come home from school and seeing, okay, well, so-and-so's normally home this time. You're not being a nosy mom or dad by saying that that kid should be here by now. You're helping each other out, right? And I think that that's why we're seeing that reemergence of citizens on patrol. Uh, it used to be back when I was growing up, block parents, yep. you know, and that's gone the way of the, is it Dodo? The Dodo bird, <laughs> It's yeah. gone the way of the Dodo. But because we're missing that idea that we're supposed to be helping each other. So sure, we can look to police. Sure, we can look to the criminals. But what are we all doing to make sure that we're all being treated fairly, kindly, nicely, but also as safe as possible? Yeah, and I, I'm just remembering now my next door neighbor when I was growing up, his name was Bob. He was a retired cop. Uh, He was from Scotland, and he knew, we knew everything that was happening in the neighborhood because he knew everything that was happening in the neighborhood because he would go around and just stop and chat with people when they're in their backyard. Everybody knew Bob. Everybody loved Bob. And uh, 
having just that knowledge, I think, actually made us feel safer or more comfortable, more connected to our neighbors and our neighborhood. Uh, but I'm, I admit I'm kind of like Jeff Braun in the sense that I, I often just want to, you know, put my blinders on and not really talk to anybody. Although I, in my, since I've moved into my new place, I'm trying to be friendlier with my neighbors if I see them in the hall. But I used to just be like, nope, don't want to talk to anybody. And uh, I think there is maybe something to be said about being more social because it might be actually creating more of a sense of community and safety. And the fringe benefit of just being polite is the fact that you might get that gossip. You might find out because if you weren't talking to Bob, you wouldn't have got the 411. He might have had it, but who's he sharing it with if nobody's either A, talking to him, or you're not speaking to him for him to deliver it to you. So it's a two-way street, and it's amazing how in the springtime... It's not just the budding trees that I get excited about. It's like, oh, everybody's out on the street yeah. again, and they're walking their dogs, and they're walking, and they're <laughs> cycling, and they're stopping, and they're chit-chatting. And so there's, a, like I say, a genuinely long period of time in certain neighborhoods where you just do not see your neighbors. And uh, I've said to my I, I neighbor, hate it. I've said to my neighbors, like, in the spring, boy, like, your kids have really grown, like, as if I've moved away and <laughs> right, come back. Right. Like, how did I not notice that over the winter? I, I've had a friend, you know, drop 30 pounds that I missed in winter because I didn't see her, you know, we kind of wave from the door and then, okay, great. So I think that there's something to be said about us all um, being a little more engaged. Text message from Tim at 204-780-6868. A friend told me a story recently. He woke up in the morning and went to his car to find a police incident report number on his dash. So he called the police and they told him two people were sitting in his car at 2 a.m. and a neighbor called the police. This was in Westwood. Mm-hmm. See, thank you to that neighbor. Yeah. Yep. Someone being neighborly and also in a neighborhood that I wouldn't associate with crime. I have a friend who lives on a Cinnaboyne and it's just a beautiful street. And uh, every time I go there, I always remark like, man, this is a nice little pocket of Winnipeg. I imagine it's uh, really nice, but... Hidden neighborhoods, and I, I used to work in the middle of the night way back when delivering milk and... Even then, you would see in the middle of the night, there were mischievous individuals that would go around. And I think the game was just to turn on your dome light inside your car if you'd left it unlocked so that you wouldn't be able to start your car in the morning. I don't think they were doing much more than that. But that was that was something that I used to see on a regular basis. It's a little more nefarious than than that now. But once again, uh, if you're disconnected from your neighbors, you're not going to find out this stuff. One of my neighbors shares the the surveillance footage from his camera all the time. Oh, this is what happened last night. They were in your yard too. Yeah, I know. I saw it. Wow. Yeah. So it's good to have those networks and those systems working with one another Mm -hmm. so you can be informed and maybe, I guess, hopefully not be surprised when it happens to you or hopefully it doesn't happen. And if you are a person who perhaps doesn't want to socialize as much, that is the positive of social media. We also have in our neighborhood a Facebook group book group for our street and you can go on there and be so-and-so your garage doors open just wanted to you know let you know in case you meant to have it closed yep. you may not feel like calling them but you can just post it right there right and so yes i get it you don't everyone doesn't want to have a conversation after a long day but there are other tools that we should be using to make sure we can you know help one another out just want to quickly revisit a different conversation the conversation on bed bugs and we have a text message here uh, that raises a good point uh, they say, this is why I don't like or support the free weekend, the giveaway weekend. All you're doing is spreading the bed bugs, which can and do live in books, TVs, stereos. They, go, they can go dormant for about five months. 
between feedings. And that's honestly something I had never thought of until just this week when someone said they live in the, inside the, the brick of your phone charger. Yeah, like they, they, can, they can be as small as poppy seeds, I think. Now I want to ask you the questions. Have you recently moved back to Manitoba or are you considering leaving Manitoba? We're asking because new numbers out this week show more than 10,000 people moved here from other provinces last year, but almost 20,000 left. So that means 9,000 plus Manitobans chose to move to another province in the last year. And while that's not unusual to see that kind of migration back and forth between provinces, that loss, that 9,000 plus number is actually the highest it's been or the worst it's been in years, depending on how you want to frame it. Alicia McDonald is the Principal Economist for the Conference Board of Canada and joins us now. Good morning, Alicia. Good morning. Thanks for having me. Thanks for being with us. I know we talk about this often here in Manitoba because it was a real concern decades ago that we were losing so many people to other provinces and then that seemed to taper off somewhat. So to hear that we're back up in this range is, I know, concerning for some people. What do you make of the numbers? Absolutely. When we see such a large negative number like that, uh, it is important to dig a bit deeper and try to assess what is driving that, given that migration is so important to population growth uh, in all provinces across the country. And so when we look at the data, one of the main factors driving interprovincial migration decisions is economic prospects. And Manitoba has been facing a number of challenges in its near-term outlook, uh, with its economic growth expected to come in at just uh, 0.6% this year. Growth was quite a bit slower than the national average last year, too, and these weaker economic prospects are really incenting people to move to other provinces looking for better opportunities. So two questions for you, Alicia. One is where are people going predominantly from Manitoba? I'm guessing you know that. And also, traditionally, if we're at 9,000 net uh, loss in terms of interprovincial migration, what has the historic number looked like for Manitoba? Those are excellent questions. So on your first question, where are people going? Uh, predominantly uh, from Manitoba, people move to Ontario. Alberta and British Columbia. And we look when we look at the numbers last year, we did see uh, quite a significant increase in migration out of Manitoba into Ontario and also into Alberta as economic prospects have started to improve in those provinces. Now, when we look at uh, what has historically happened in Manitoba, yeah, as you said at the beginning of the segment, uh, the numbers do tend to fluctuate. Uh, but even just four years ago, Manitoba was looking at uh, a net loss of about 4,800 people. So when we saw the numbers from last year at just over 9,000, uh, that's a big increase in just a few years. They've doubled. And I know you're looking at it from an economist perspective in the sense of where do people go for work? What does it mean in terms of tax you know, comparisons and all the rest? Is there any studies ever done, Alicia, that dig deeper than that on what might be the other factors, you know, the, the idea of looking for hope or having an excitement in your community or inspiration. You know, both uh, Greg and I have moved back and forth out of Manitoba and into Calgary, uh, Toronto, and I think BC, Greg, if I'm so the, the three provinces you mentioned. And what brought us back, from, what brought me back was family. I'm curious if we go beyond the numbers ever to see what else is driving uh, people to leave or return. Yes, absolutely. Um, so, like I said, one of the main factors is economic prospects, but then the other factor is uh, the sense of community and labor market outcomes that you can get there. So, do, are there uh, services such as uh, language training to help you uh, 
better uh, become part of the community? Are there services that are uh, geared towards, um, you know, the type of activities that you used to enjoy either in your home country or in your home province? Uh, what type of uh, non labor market uh, supports are there in those communities uh, that will enrich uh, one's quality of life. And uh, it's not just about uh, labor market outcomes. Those are certainly important. People are not going to uh, stay in a community where they can't find uh, gainful employment over the long term. But uh, once you have that secured and you have the opportunity to look at other factors, it's what type of quality of life am I enjoying here? And is it uh, the type of life that I want to have? Well, and that mobility, that ability to move uh, Alicia, to two in particular of the most livable cities on the planet, uh, Calgary and Vancouver are always in the top three, four, or five in that category. And in Toronto's typically not much further down the list. So, so Winnipeg, in some senses, you could argue is holding its own, but it's got some pretty stiff competition for its best and brightest. Yes, absolutely. And uh, I think one of the areas where Winnipeg really does stand out in a positive way is on the affordability question. Um, you know, Toronto and Vancouver are obviously great cities. Uh, they're large uh, by Canadian standards, and so they have a lot of amenities. But uh, when you look at the housing aspect, uh, they've become very unaffordable in recent years. And so that's one of the things I think that uh, the province of Manitoba can really highlight is uh, the affordability uh, that uh, you have when you uh, decide to migrate to that province. All right, Alicia McDonald, Principal Economist for the Conference Board of Canada, joining us live on 680 CJOB to talk about the more than 9,000 Manitobans who chose to move to another province in 2018. Alicia, thank you for the time. Thank you for having me. It's been my pleasure. In my hands, I have a book called Everything Manitoba, The Ultimate Book of Lists. And it comes from the author of Out of Old Manitoba Kitchens and co-author of the best-selling Manitoba book of everything. She is a traveler, a list maker, and a proud Manitoban. Her name is Christine Hanlon, and she joins us live on 680 CJOB. Christine, hello there. Hello. Thanks for having me. So we got to start right out of the gate. I mean, this book is a couple hundred pages long, and it's just full of lists of everything Manitoba. And one of them is 13 words or expressions only a Manitoban would say. So it has things like jam buster, the Manitoba word for a jelly donut, mm-hmm. a booter, mm-hmm. which we all know what a booter is. They call it the soaker in Ontario. The soaker. Well, okay. because in in Manitoba, it's snow. You typically step in. In Ontario, it's a big slushy puddle. Okay. And then one of the terms is Halloween apples. And this is a, a sort of something that we talk about every year. But immediately, Loren, you were... I have no idea what you're talking about. So it, uh, I need to find out from our author, Christine Hanlon, who's in studio with us. Well, instead of saying trick or treat, you're, you're going you're gonna to experience it. If you haven't experienced it yet, I still have kids coming to the door no. going, Halloween apples. Yes. This yes. has to be a Winnipeg thing. Well, yeah, it's a Manitoba thing. Really? One would think, one would think, but we immediately got uh, something. It was a text message yep. from a listener in Carmen who said, we right. never said trick or treat. We always said Halloween apples. Mm. I grew up saying Halloween apples. And of course, you have to say it in just the right cadence. Oh, yeah. Halloween a, apples. Exactly hey, right. I'm going to have to get some of our Minnedosa listeners to text in. What am I missing? I grew up on a farm, so to be honest, we drove 
to like five farms, oh, ask for some candy. There wasn't a lot of tons. So your Halloween experience is quite limited, McNabb, is what limited, you're admitting yeah. here. Yeah. So maybe you're not quite the expert I on this one. I might not be the one to talk about. So Halloween apples is one of them. And then do people come to you with these ideas? Or how does it work in terms of creating all these lists you have within the book, Christine? Well, I wrote about half the list. And then I reached out to Manitobans with various areas of expertise for their lists. And so you have, you know, people like uh, Chris Wachowski and his UFO list, uh, UFO sightings in Manitoba. You have Nigan Sinclair and some of the uh, important events that happened in uh, Indigenous history and to Indigenous people in Manitoba. So, you know, there were so and many people with so much knowledge about Manitoba. And Manitobans are very proud and, and are also very generous in sharing um, their pride in Manitoba. I was laughing because I opened the book this morning. Taz Stewart of, of oh, yeah. Pest Control was asked to compile a list. And number two on his list uh, was bed bugs. Yes. Of Poulin's Pest Control. He says it's the number one insect in Manitoba. So For it now. just made me laugh that I was like, even with what we're talking about, bed bugs makes the list too, which uh, is not necessarily a good thing, but it's a good thing to be informed. Absolutely. So the the book is informative and it's kind of fun too. There's a list of uh, 10 ways, 10 things you need to survive a Manitoba winter. I think everybody is going to recognize. And I think people will, will, will be curious, you know, when they see the title of a list, they'll say, oh, I wonder what's on that list. But the, I had uh, somebody come to me and say, oh, I keep challenging what's on the list and I want to add more things to the list. So it's, it can be a real fun experience, I think. So when you were finished, like at what point did you decide, okay, that's, that's everything? <laughs> when my publisher said I had to hand in the book, because <laughs> otherwise it, it could have gone on forever, I think. <laughs> I mean, and I think uh, that's a fun thing. People can add their own lists you know, in their head. And and I think it's a good conversation starter. Minidosa does make an appearance in oh, here, yes. uh, Loren. And uh, the town of Minidosa was entirely flooded in 1948 when a dam upstream of the town burst. And that, that dam, of course, is what creates Lake Minidosa, the little Saskatchewan River, if I'm not mistaken, is dammed. And that's what makes the lake. But a lot of the town records were destroyed yes. in 1948 because of where City Hall sits. And so that was a big disaster. Do you have the fact that Minidosa had an earthquake in the 1890s on no, this list? No, there you list? go. There's another thing okay. I, I, that needs there to be go. added to the list. I think we're going to have to have a volume, too. We might have to have a volume. <laughs> Too, and maybe just a list of Minidosa, cool Minidosa stuff, because That's a whole book. there's lots of cool Minidosa. I don't know if it's a whole book. It's definitely a list. <laughs> it's a whole book. Brett's shaking his head, so I yeah. want to insist that it's a whole book. Okay, sure. and, and the other one on that same list that, that talks about the Minidosa flood of 1948 is If Day. I oh, still yeah. get people who open their eyes wide with amazement when you talk about if day, Brett McGarry shrugging his shoulders. Christine, you want to well, educate them? They recreated a Nazi invasion during World War II to get people to buy victory bonds. So they they had you know tanks rolling down the street and and I think people uh, barging into Great West Life pretending that they were a German army and and taking people hostage and things like that. So it, it was uh, yeah, it's really crazy. Yeah, I think that they the did mayor that. of Winnipeg was hauled out of City mm-hmm. Hall. Yeah. Uh, it was a it was a, the whole idea was if the Nazis invade Canada, this is what would happen in Winnipeg. Mm-hmm. It was filmed. It was shared all around the Commonwealth, and uh, yeah. it's fascinating stuff. And uh, but the, the the citizens, the mayor, were not informed that this was coming. I think I th- they were. 
lots of people were in, in on, on it. it. So there were soldiers. I've interviewed soldiers in the past who were 14, say at the time, and they were told to dress up and act a certain way or carry this gun and march down the street. So it was it was kind of like there were a lot of people in on it, but there was more people who weren't in on it and had to imagine the possibility of what it would be like if we were invaded. Oh. It's kind of one of the. It's a bizarre thing, but it's super yeah. cool. And you mentioned the idea of about the things in our past to be proud of. Even if they do fall into that bizarre mm-hmm. or even potentially uh, shameful category in the sense of what we can yes. learn. Exactly. Yeah, there are, are a lot of things that uh, there are some serious things in the book that I think will make people reflect. Um, and I think that's always a good thing. How often were you like responding with a, huh? Wow. Oh. Quite often. Did you? Yeah. I, I found out that Flin Flon was named after a character in a science fiction novel, and I thought, huh. <laughs> just what's, like you just said. What's the character's name again, Greg? Oh, Flint to Baddy Flonaton. Yes. Mm, good. <laughs> so, I, I only know that because of uh, that vignette or whatever it was that went around years ago oh, that I had him floating that. underneath the sea. That's right. Uh, I think uh, Creighton was the author, and of course, mm-hmm. Creighton is uh, Flint Flon's twin town or city in oh. Saskatchewan. So, because they're both uh, basically right on the on the border there. So, I'm looking at the uh, ten place uh, names. Only Manitobans know how to pronounce or mispronounce. Mispronounce. I always used to love in the <laughs> hospitality industry when people would ask me. Now, I'm staying on Portage Avenue. Yep. And, you know, in all fairness to people from other places, of all the French words that everyone knows, whether you're from New York, Dallas, Vancouver, or Winnipeg, you know what Portage is. And so we love to throw that curveball with Portage, but there are other places on this list, like uh, Des Murons, uh, Notre Dame, uh, La Jemodière, uh, Saint-Jean-Baptiste, all these different, typically are, French names. And, and Eve will probably text us any second now, because he hates when people say Notre Dame, probably hates <laughs> when you say Des Murons and all this other stuff. So we're not, necess- we're not saying those correctly, we're just saying the way we've accepted them, because we, because many of us simply can't pronounce them correctly so uh yeah and even i i can pronounce them i just feel weird saying demoron <laughs> and pembina. pembina right you hear people if they're not from here pembina. saint vital canastin oh yeah saint vital that, that's one so <laughs> this is quite the list i like it a lot good i'm glad you do You're getting lots of traction on this book i bet yes yes um I've got a Facebook page up for the book, uh, and uh, there's a launch coming up on November 3rd. So That's at um, McNally Robinson? Yes. What time? At 2 p.m. Okay. Afternoon. The book is already available, though, for purchase, Oh, it is. Right? Yeah. It's available at McNally and at Chapters and online at Amazon as well. So uh, how many books now is this for you? Is this Well, three? this is three with this publisher, and I had one before that. Okay. Do you ever get used to seeing your name on the bottom of a book, you know, that you're a published author? I can imagine that the high from that doesn't really go away. It's always exciting, and I, it always feels it's a bit surreal. <laughs> oh, and there is the text, by the way, from Eve, by the way. He just sent us a, a <laughs> gif of some little uh, cartoon character bashing its head against the wall <laughs> in anger. So. Yes, yes. Uh, where is the world's largest cookie jar? Oh, you know, I have to reread my own books. No, I, well, I you mean you haven't cheat. committed the entire thing Come to, on, to memory? memory? No, no, and you... I wrote this one list, too. And, you know, so the world's largest. Oh, yes, of course. 
that is in Deloraine. And I actually haven't seen it, but that was that's the thing is that there's so many places I discovered when I was writing this book that I want to see now. I, one of the places that came up again and again was Steep Rock. And they said it looks like the Mediterranean. Oh, and Steep Rock is incredible. I know. So we said this summer, we said, that's it. We're going to Steep Rock. And we did. And it does look like the Mediterranean. <laughs> Yeah, it's uh, one of the, those hidden jewels of Manitoba. We have hidden neighborhoods in Winnipeg, and there's yeah. these little hidden places to go to in Manitoba where a lot of people just have never been. Yeah, and that's what sharing is all about. You know, you find out more and more. The book is called Everything Manitoba, The Ultimate Book of Lists. It's by Christine Hanlon, who has been our guest for the last 10 minutes or so. The book is now available, but there will be an official launch November 3rd at 2 p.m. at McNally Robinson. Christine, thanks for coming in to visit us. We appreciate it. And thanks for putting together this book. Mm-hmm. It's a lot of fun. Uh, Greg is fascinated with it right now. Give us lots of story ideas. Every time I flip a page, yeah. I'm like, we should talk about that. Oh, so this is, I guess the book's not going home to any, with anybody then. No, Christine's going to tune in every day and be like, ah, uh, that was my idea. going to be seeking royalties. Get royalties, yeah. From CJOB. <laughs> thanks Nine. so much. Hey, thanks for listening to The Start Podcast. We are available on Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, wherever you find your favorite podcasts. Subscribe now and never miss an episode. And if you like what you hear, rate the show, tell us what you think, and hey, even tell a friend about the podcast. Be sure to follow us on Twitter and Instagram. Greg is at GMACWPG, that's G-M-A-C-K-W-P-G. I am at Brett McGarry, B-R-E-T-T-M-E-G-A-R-R-Y. And Loren on Twitter is at McNab on Global and on Instagram at McNab on C-J-O-B. Talk soon.